Hello, Janksters, and welcome to another episode of the Magic Jank Podcast, the weekly show where members of Team Magic Jank get together and we discuss the various goings-on in the world of magic. And in the past week, we've actually had a pretty eventful time, which is kind of to be expected. There was Magic on Barcelona, and a lot of new news came out of that. There was some moving and shaking with the One Ring, which we're going to get into, uh, and, of course, the Pro Tour as well. So we're going to be discussing all of those. But before we dive into the topics... I want to introduce my co-hosts for the day. Uh, my name is Hammocks. Well, my name is Graham. I go by Hammocks42 on the internet. And I'm joined by C. Favreto Jr., a.k.a. Carlo, although I sh- that's probably backwards as well, as well as uh, our buddy Hollywood Pizza. So, Carlo, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing pretty good. Good to be back. Good to have you back. I know we missed you for the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Damien stepped in and did a fantastic job, of course, but it was good to see you again, bud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Hollywood, man, how are you doing? Doing pretty fantastic. Um, I've been looking at a lot of cards this week at work. Uh, I can definitely say I've probably seen about like 30,000 cards this week, probably between Pokemon cards, Magic cards. Uh, just today alone, I bought like uh, 12,000 bulk cards plus uh, the rest of some other, you know, more on the higher end cards. But uh, yeah, between Pokemon MTG and a lot of other games, like I see quite a lot of cardboard and uh Today, I'm definitely feeling a little bit of the cardboard fatigue. Uh, <laughs> just so much cardboard. I can I'm imagine, not really fatigued, man. but a lot of cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt it, dude. Well, let's talk about some cardboard, because why not? And uh, before we dive into the topics, another quick aside. I want to give a huge shout-out and huge thank you to MagicJank.com, the marketplace where you can buy and sell, well, various cardboard and cardboard accessories. So, yeah, they make this show possible. They're also the uh, the sponsor behind the stream team that we're all a part of, Team Magic Jank. And, uh, yeah, I absolutely adore being a part of the Magic Jank team. So, mm-hmm. MagicJank.com, definitely check out that website. If you're in the mar- market for Magic cards, or if you have Magic cards that you're trying to sell, you can do so at MagicJank.com. Just put it out there. Anyway, so I wanted to start today with um, the, this previous weekend. We had something that we haven't had for a couple of years in a modern pro tour. So we had it. We had the best of the best getting together in Barcelona to duke it out in the modern format. Um, as of late, a lot of pro tours and you know championships, a lot of the big events have been standard or pioneer um or i mean for in the case of a couple of the mythic championships we even had alchemy and um you know some other kind of avant-garde formats but we finally went back to this is modern this is competitive magic a high power level without going all the way back to legacy and it's I, i i was excited about it and i think it was actually just honestly an amazing event and really really well well done but we got a lot of interesting results coming from it um when you look at the decks that were played um and ultimately a huge shout out uh, of course to jake beardsley who won the uh, event uh, spoiler morning for anyone who hasn't looked at the the standings for the pro tour uh yeah so jake beardsley won it on rakdos evoke is the official name which of course rakdos scam as it's known which i have I, I can't think of a nickname for a deck that is more appropriate and um there were a couple of plays that that deck in, um, you know, Jake Beardsley's hands, as well as there were a couple other players on it as well. There were some disgusting plays that occurred throughout the course of the tournament that that deck was capable of. Um, and it, yeah, so I don't know what. It, so what are you guys' thoughts on 
mean, not just the Rakdos sack deck specifically. We'll dive into it. But what are your feelings on the event as a whole and kind of what it says about modern? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, it was very enjoyable to watch, at least from my perspective, um, getting to see modern being featured on the main stage again. Um, you know, modern is a format I think I've struggled with loving and hating <laughs> at the same time. And I think a lot of other players would agree sort of with that statement. Um, you know, modern has essentially become like the new legacy. Um, you know, it, it is an eternal format, right? With a ban list. And um, I think that a lot of the decks that we've seen do well on like the magical mind challenges um, definitely came to fruition here. Um, but you also saw some of like the pro tour teams take a more deep dive into some of these decks and try to like rebuild them from the ground up. Um, definitely one of the decks that comes to mind, of course, is team handshakes version of mono green Tron, um, where, you know, traditionally you would see four chromatic star, four chromatic sphere, four expedition map, four Sylvan scry and so on and so forth in a traditional list. Um, that, that didn't go that way. And they they rebuilt it to try to combat that the version of what they thought was going to be the metagame scene at the Pro Tour. Um, but, you know, Tron has been around forever in modern, right? Urza's Power Plant, Urza's Mine, Urza's Tower. Mm -hmm. Get them together, cast seven mana Karn. But that's <laughs> not the Tron that we saw at the Pro Tour, right? The Tron we saw at the Pro Tour came at everybody with not seven mana Karn, but four mana Karn with the idea of playing more of this sort of controly game, right? Um, yes, could you still cast Ulamog on 10 mana? Sure can, uh, but you better believe that Karn was helping you get there, plus some. Um, and, you know, definitely a smart choice, especially if you were expecting other mono green Tron or artifact-based decks to be played there at the Pro Tour to shut down what your opponent was doing. Um, you know, I even myself took Mono Green Tron to our last uh, Modern Monday at our local game store. I copied uh, Simon Nielsen's deck list just to try it out, and uh, I got out tron It's just who made it to Karn the Great Creator first, um, especially if you're playing similar lists, you know? Um, but I definitely loved watching it on the stream. I think it's one of the top viewed Twitch streams on the Magic Channel in quite some time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the broadcast was out of this world good. Um, top quality content. Like, love to see. I love the sped up matches. Um, I loved going, you know, game one into two into three, just like nonstop coverage and only like a two minute break, like in between rounds at some points. Like, that was top quality content. Um, so, you know, I, I was very grateful to see um, the modern metagame as it was displayed there. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Hollywood? I definitely agree. I, uh, I love the modern format. Um, been a big fan of it since its inception. Um, just really, really happy that we finally got to see another pro tour with modern. I feel like modern's kind of like uh, the direction. I feel like maybe they could go more the paper route in terms of like these high stakes events. But uh, overall, I mean, like, we did see a lot of Tron, a lot of Rhinos in, like, the top eight. Uh, Rakdos won. There was an Amulet Titan deck as well. Uh, there's a lot of variety, too, if you look at the rest of the deck list. 
So overall, I feel like, you know, modern still feels like it's in a really good place. Obviously, there's a lot of cards that came from Lord of the Rings that have actually definitely like impacted the landscape of modern. And it's kind of um, it's interesting because there was a time period where it took a lot for a card to get played in a format like modern. It had to really be powerful. And uh, we can see the impact of cards like the one ring that has made a deck like Tron kind of come out of the shadows. I know that a lot of people still have said, you know, Tron has always had, you know, uh, one of the better win percentages and, you know, it's still a pretty heavily played deck. Uh, but I think until, you know, the one rings printing, I think it was slightly falling out of the meta because there were other decks and other cards that definitely like beat up on it. And this was kind of like, it's uh coming out party in like a way, it, like came back into the format. It's like, Hey, look, like, you know, I've been here since the beginning. I'm here to stay. I still do it better than, you know, a lot of the decks that are trying to do what I'm doing, you know, uh, especially decks like Amulet Titan or even like these five color Omnath decks that we talk about a lot, but, you know, didn't do as good at the Pro Tour. But, you know, Tron's here to stay, it looks like. And, you know, Scam did as good as we thought it was going to do, apparently, because mm-hmm. we did kind of shout that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the losers, though, I think is interesting. You know, I I was a loser a bit because I called... Uh, creativity potentially like a deck of the weekend and it did not do anything uh we can kind of say the same thing about decks like is it murktide as well where you know going into the pro tour is it murktide omnath uh all these decks kind of just were the decks to look out for but after the pro tour it feels like a lot of those decks are kind of gone and uh, one thing to kind of note that i think gets overlooked in these pro tours and um specifically events like this structured is that there's a lot of modern decks that actually did amazing that did unreal right mm-hmm. uh like merfolk decks uh i think there was like an elf deck maybe and like some other just other decks right and they did amazing where they go like you know eight and two or you know they have like this crazy good run but then you know those players kind of bomb out and draft so you actually mm-hmm. never really get to hear about that unless you look at like the deck list and kind of look at some records and i think overall there's a lot of different decks to still play in modern and this kind of leads into a little bit of like an add-on discussion of this uh, overall topic, and that's the ban list, right? Like right now, a lot of the discussion coming out of this Pro Tour is that something needs to get banned. And it's more mm-hmm. so to do with obviously cards like the One Ring, Orcish Bowmasters, all these cards that came in big numbers, right? 450 copies of the One Ring, like 412, 13, I don't know how many copies of Bowmaster. And, you know, a lot of cards like that we thought we were going to see almost like relegated to the sideboard and not even played and some other decks that also normally would show up just weren't there and it, it's interesting that modern i don't know i feel like it's almost like every time modern changes because we're so used to eternal formats not changing everyone kind of gets like shook and everyone's like oh something needs to get banned but it's like does it really need to get banned at least like right away? It's like, maybe we could give it some time. Maybe we could see if everyone kind of finds answers to the one ring and some, you know, Tron, uh, you know, we know Tron is beatable. Yep. You just go after the mana base and Tron just loses, right? All of his cards are like expensive, right? Like it's, it's a little bit, obviously it's harder because of Karn the great creator, but at the same time, like you can slow the deck down and find ways to win. The problem is that the, the whole format's mid range. So cards like fury, kind of like kick aggro out so then aggro can't beat up on tron so then tron kind of just like chomps down on everything else that exists anyway so 
I think right now maybe that's the number one argument that most people are calling for is maybe trying to bring aggro back into the format, which is also funny because it parallels like standards argument for wanting aggro back, right? Like it, it's weird, right, Carlo? Like it, it's weird that we want something that it's like normally a, a deck type in regular MTG formats just isn't a thing in modern right now. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I agree. You know, with with scam or Rakdos evoke, mm-hmm. you know, not only winning the pro tour, but I mean, isn't it crazy to get a fury out on turn one as like a four, four double strike. Like it's so unpleasant to play against, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it, it isn't a great experience. And I think you actually saw on the magic stream, a couple games exactly end up like this where it was like, okay, scoop, Game two, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and I don't know. Do I think that they're going to ban Fury? I think it's a it's a contender. Um, and I think I've said before on this podcast, I'm not a fan of the free spells from either of the Modern Horizon sets um, and, you know, the impact that they have had on the game. But you also have to take it into perspective now. And I think this was something that was on the website um, when they showed like the Pro Tour metagame breakdown modern is now 20 years worth of magic in one set in in one format now and you take a look at legacy is there really an aggro deck that exists in legacy and i think that answer is no the delver decks are like tempo so it's it's got aggro mm -hmm. elements but it's more like a control deck and so I don't think you're ever really going to have an aggro deck that comes back to modern, especially mm-hmm. not with these free spells running around. Um, you know, so in terms of like uh, talking about bans on the format, um, you know, I would not be surprised if Karn the Great Creator takes a hit for the One Ring Sins. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and I think uh, another thing I think I said before on this podcast is that the One Ring is like Modern's Reckoner Bankbuster. You can play it in every deck. When it re- was released on Magic Online, you saw people were just jamming four of the One Ring in every Modern deck possible. Um, but I don't think they're going to go after that card. How do you go after the star card of the Lord of the Rings set? Um, and I think the answer is you don't. So then the same reason that Yurion took the blame for Omnath's sins in the previous bannings, I think Karn is going to take the hit for the sins of the One Ring. And, you know, it, it's interesting, too, because I believe that this ban announcement that comes is the start of the new cycle of one ban announcement a year unless they need emergencies. Mm-hmm. The other thing we're most notably missing right now outside of Magic Online results, because really you want your bannings to be based on results somewhere, is a tournament series for the format that goes week to week to week or every other week. The NRG tournament series is great. I love to see them online. I love to see them streaming some paper modern content. Um, You know, but it's not like back in the days where you had star city tournaments every other week and there was a metagame that was shifting and you knew it was rock, paper, scissors of a format. And you had all of that data to determine what could be banned from your format. Um, so it'd be interesting to see the way that they put a take on this. We are going into a modern RCQ season, right? So think about that. So we'll have some data from some RCQs post August 7th banning. 
something they really got to put some thought into. Um, yeah, I think know. like it's uh, it, it's interesting because uh, yeah, you make like just so many great points. Like you're right, like going into like you know the quote unquote you know PTQ season here, uh, and kind of seeing you know where the format could be is going to be interesting. It's it's either like they they don't do anything and then let it kind of play out, or do you think that this is a situation where maybe they ban two or three cards where it has the um, rampaging Ferocidon effect? Where you say, okay, we're going to ban, what was it? They banned Marvel, right? Or whatever it was. And then they also banned mm. like Ferocidon, I think. Where those were in the same bands, right? right. Um, and they banned Ferocidon mostly because they said, well, we don't want this to be, we don't want Red Deck to be the best deck. Mm-hmm. We, we want decks to be able to gain life and you know that's reds obviously you know the regular way red loses so we're going to ban rampaging ferocidon and i think they might have banned one other thing uh ramanap i think it was Ram- they ban- Ram- i know Ram- they banned yeah. ramanap at some mm-hmm. point okay. um and they kind of like slowed the red deck down obviously the red deck was still actually like you know the best deck or one of the best decks in the format easily uh but you know the fact that they made some extra bans with the original ban in hindsight they were able to kind of prevent the format from being total, totally unplayable. Like, you know, we'll talk about something like Eldraine days, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, to me, I think, I think that they could almost go Karn fury and then like one other random card that they feel like maybe one deck because they banned these two, these two cards, it's natural predator or the, the deck that loses to both of these is just going to get insanely better like a rhinos so you ban those two cards isn't rhinos just like the next best deck then like we all know the cascade decks are hard though right like people really don't like the cascade decks so maybe maybe they ban violent outburst hot take hollywood banning violent outburst in modern you know it's it's interesting um, because then you give one less card to maybe Cascade, or you make the deck fairer by making them cast ardently instead. Sorcery speed only. Th- yep. And, you know, I think it might be, it definitely is a good discussion if that's what they think that they might want to do. Um, but yeah, it, it would you be You can crazy. play Bloodbraid off, right? You can play Bloodbraid off in your deck because you know Bloodbraid's always going to hit Shardless. So maybe you just, you know, play like these other more fair cards and then the deck becomes mid-rangier. Like, yeah, it has its combo, but it can just also beat you in the fairway. And I think that that's where Teamer Rhinos specifically leans towards is that Teamer Rhinos as a deck wants to play that fair game plan. It's not really doing anything too broken. Yeah, two four fours, sure. I mean, modern, that's like a joke kind of because like there's so many more like, you know, prime time on turn two and stuff, but... Fury um, on turn one. Yeah, Fury on turn one. So... Or, you or know, three it's, furies in response to a dress down. But yeah, <laughs> it, it's interesting. Like I, I think it's gonna be interesting to see what they decide to do. Whether or not they go on like these crazy ban chains where they ban like a few cards yeah. to kind of shake up the format completely, um, or they do nothing because uh, they could just do nothing and kind of see what happens. But I know players, players will probably be upset if nothing is done. I think they would rather even one card be banned than nothing be done. Yeah. You know, I do want to point out just one more thing about, you know, the modern metagame from the Pro Tour stats. There were 52 Rakdos Evoke decks, or Rakdos Scam, whatever you want to call mm. it. There were 53 other decks on that same graphic. And when you take a look at the other decks, the amount, you know, one or two people playing said decks, it 
makes me feel optimistic about the format. Um, you know, the first time I had sort of been back to playing modern was when the SCG con came to New Jersey and they had a modern, I don't know, I think it was like a 10 K or 20 K or something like this as their main event. And when you sat down, people were still playing decks from like five, six years ago hmm. because those were the cards that they had. They hadn't been able to sleeve up their Eldrazi Tron decks, their Scapeshift decks from a long time ago. Um, and they just wanted to come back to playing Magic. And I think that when you take a look at that breakdown of the other decks, uh, an Affinity deck, a Demir Murktide deck, um, <laughs> you know, Grixis Shadow, Merfolk, like decks that you would see in a Magic Online challenge made it mm -hmm. all the way to the Pro Tour. Um, and, and Hollywood, do you remember the days of spreading seizing the Trons player? Uh, oh, yeah. You know, oh, can yeah. we get back to that? I, um, I think we almost can. <laughs> I think it's like funny because when Tron is like one of the best decks, it actually makes it so that like hate like this and other weird decks like show up in order to combat it. So then like it kind of pushes out some of the main meta decks. I really feel like what we saw at the Pro Tour is just another example of the Pro Tour, yeah. which is what always happens. It's inbred. It's all the best players. They just like go and corner like one, one, you know, they're trying to get the best strategy. They're trying to give themselves the best way to win. Like, mm -hmm. So I think that it's, you're right. It's not indicative of the format because like we've been talking about this whole time, like the format's like still, it, when you go to your local game store, even when you go to like even like a pretty decent sized tournament you're still going to see a lot of different decks it's modern like just to begin with there's like 10 tier one decks and then it's like okay then there's like potentially five other tier 1.5 right. decks and then okay now we okay you want to get to tier two then tier two there's like another 10 decks and then at any given point one of those tier two decks could get a card or have a good weekend like let's say the dredge effect that i always used to say which was dredge was a deck that you only saw every once in a while because everyone packed the hate and then that one weekend no one would pack the hate the dredge players <laughs> would know the local meta. They would go to the Grand Prix and they would smash because they knew that people that were going to the Grand Prix didn't have enough fucking cyborg Kate. And they were able to kind of just like take down those events or do very well because they were able to attack the meta. And I think that that's where I really think that that's where we're going with modern is that we're going to go back to you just hate the meta. And as long as you are able to effectively attack the top decks, then you're still going to be able to have a chance. Because at the yeah. end of the day, you know, the one ring by itself makes so many decks playable. Like we talk about banning cards and, you know, all oh, these cards are broken. The number one thing that doesn't get talked about broken cards is that these weird decks that wouldn't exist kind of exist because of that card. And they're actually like almost as good as like the main decks. So, mm -hmm. you know, like we, you said the, the Demir deck, um, you talked about uh, mono black was a deck that we've been seeing a little bit of, like there's all these weird niche decks that are popping up now. Merfolk made a comeback, like so many cool decks that we haven't seen for a while or we know of that are brand new. And it's mostly because of the one ring. And even though the card is obviously, you know, very strong, I think it's cool that it's making a lot of different strategies besides making, try and make a comeback in modern so i'm very optimistic about modern as well well and the interesting thing about the ring i love the comparison to reckoner bankbuster because i see a lot of similarities there you know in standard before the reckoner bankbuster ban we had decks like mono white is a great example where the deck i mean there was a lot of depth to it but they had good removal they had good card draw they had good threats 
But or they didn't really have a ton of good card draw. It was mostly one for ones. Like Spirit of Companion is playable card draw for them. And like Wedding Announcement is about as good as it gets. So to get a carded a card advantage engine on mm-hmm. a two drop, you know, that was necessary for that deck. And like yep. you'll notice, like it's funny because I remember hearing a ton of people when the ban announcement came down. I remember a bunch of people saying, oh, Mono White's just the best deck now. I was like, guys, Bankbuster's gone. Like, you're, you're going right. to see Mono White fall off. You know, like, it's it, it's going to happen. And it did. You know, like, some people are still out there holding out hope and still hanging on, but it's nowhere near as dominant as it used to be. Or yeah. adding Black and Breach the Multiverse. So they're well, now, right? Yeah, that's 100%. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> why wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's a really good point. Like, you know, Bankbuster being banned really knocks off a lot of decks, or it knocks mm-hmm. some, some other decks, too, down a peg, right? Like, in Pioneer or excuse me, an Explorer on Arena, we are actually seeing a lot more Bank Buster recently uh, because oh, yeah. people realize that that card is actually, you know, it was banned in standard, so it's got to be good, and it's it really is good. still really good. And mm-hmm. uh, Explorer makes it kind of, that and Fable do a really good job that the One Ring also does, which is, oh, I kind of need to just draw a little bit of some cards to make sure that I get my strategy all the way, like, set. And it really bridges the gap between one point of the game to ending the game. And that's yep. what Fable and Bankbuster do. And the yep. One Ring essentially does that as well. Yeah. Are you advocating for them to ban Fable of the Mirror Breaker from Pioneer? I mean, I think that that card should probably, uh, I don't know, it should probably be banned in a lot of formats now at this point. It, uh, it definitely, it's it's weird. Like, it. it is modern let's say specifically like it, it does a really good job of making a lot of decks playable it's not like the most broken card in modern and then in pioneer it almost does the same thing that it was doing in standard which it makes a lot of decks playable and it really makes um it's if you don't want to ban creativity right because of any future creatures that you print or any blue red spells that you just keep printing i think that you could probably ban fable and that's going to be a safe bet to knock down a peg you mean, wait, 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 if we print cards in the future that make our older cards very strong, uh, we maybe should take action now? Yeah, whoa, whoa, like whoa, Atraxa. Whoa, whoa. Remember remember Atraxa? I think Atraxa was only printed like two or three months ago, or I don't Where's, even know how long ago it was. Uh, but I know it's like old news now. But uh, There's one specific card I'm thinking about, and that is... Karn the Great Creator. Uh, talk about another card that should probably hit a Pioneer ban list along Fable the Mirror Breaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've already talked about this card in depth, but hello. The more you continue to print broken artifacts, <laughs> the more this card becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more Tron I, becomes the best deck. <laughs> uh, listen, I, I, yeah, love, like, I love playing Karn the Great Creator and understand that it's a nuisance um, or that much of a nuisance. But, you know, talking about these ban cards gets one more thought in my head, and that's can we unban anything from Modern mm. um, to shake up the format? Like, not for nothing, but when we have cards like Ragavan, Legal and Modern, and Karn the Great Creator, and the One Ring. How relevant is it to keep cards like Ponder and Preordain banned? Um, considering G- G- those... There's no aggro, right? Like, you're not going to play, like, a two-mana artifact and then the two-mana equip to, like, pump up, like, one of your creatures. Not even pump it up. Like, yeah, maybe um, never hit. You know, can we unban something like... I don't know... Maybe a little bit of uh, birthing pod. 
Um, you know, Birthing Pod is a very good card that gets shut off by Karn the Great Creator. So if we're going to keep Karn in the format, why don't we just unban Birthing Pod? Um, but we we shall not unban Green Sun Zenith. I mean, that's a little bit too. Uh, I was about to ask: Is Green Suns? Mm. Uh, I've heard Green Suns on the list of a card you could unban because it's like a it's like the just the fair decks tutor for a creature, right? Oregon is a creature, and here I guess nowadays, like I don't know, it, it would be interesting. And you know, you really bring up a big topic because we had this discussion actually earlier in the week. Um, at the store and you know we talked about a few different uh cards that could get unbanned and it's weird because everyone kind of has like a different opinion on everything Mm -hmm. and i actually think that more than 50 percent of the cards on the list probably shouldn't be banned and there's also cards that you can take a risk on um but the my main question about unbans is is that okay so we let's say theoretically we could unban a lot of the cards Un, does unbanning the cards even really do anything because magic's so powerful today? Like, let are we un? What cards are we unbanning that make decks? Right? Is birthing pod one of these cards? Probably. If we ban Karn the Great Creator, right? Yeah. Splinter I, Twin isn't going to be around though, right? Probably. If we I can't imagine it. Splinter Twin becoming a deck in a, in a world where yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't yeah. imagine Splinter Twin being a competitive deck. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to be you know Ragavans and Merc Tides and stuff. There's better cards to play now rather you than know, like a Deceiver Exarch. What's really funny yeah. is you always want to check the price of Splinter Twin before they choose to make a ban announcement because the $5 card creeps up to like $10 before the ban <laughs> announcement because people want it to get unbanned. They, they buy them and then there's no announcement and they go back down to $5. <laughs> it's great. That's amazing. But what do you think, Carla? What, what what other cards do you think could get unbanned? Or do you think that it, there is like almost all the cards on the modern ban list could be unbanned, even potentially the artifact lands? If you everyone's like, you can't unban the artifact lands, it's like, you can't do that. Are you sure? It's like, why not? Just make an aggro deck. Now we got an aggro deck, right? I mean, well, what's the earliest that aggro deck can kill? Turn three, turn two? I don't you think can turn it's two an people aggro with deck. <laughs> Excuse me. I don't think it's an aggro deck that we, why we got to worry about artifact lands. It's like just combo in general. Like I know that um, what what is the card called? Disciple of the Vault still oh, yeah. exists in modern. Um, you know, so <laughs> that card doesn't take any effort really to put on the battlefield. Um, do I think it's as explosive as it would have been in the past? No. Um, do I think there's a reason I probably don't want them on the battlefield? And also, let's talk about feel bad of destroy all artifacts types of cards that exist now. Um, what's that new one from Brothers, Brothers War? It uh, it's like two oh, and two uh, green, and it gives you a bear afterwards. No, you just play Brotherhoods. You yeah. just play Brotherhoods, and you destroy all their lands with Brotherhoods right. on like turn two. <laughs> but so knowing all this, and let's say Fury right mm-hmm. is that deck really that crazy i mean that deck's just almost playing it like sorcery speed most of the time casting yeah. creatures right like and then you're just like turn one four four double striker wipe your board start attacking i mean can affinity even deal with that and then they back it up with that's what i'm saying like can we just unban most of these cards like if we're if we're going to unban cards to make new decks to combat these decks that already exist isn't that more worth it than unbanning and then we just have like a jason mind sculptor situation where it's like we unban it nothing happens the card's like a joke in the format and i just feel like there's so much more experimentation that we should be doing 
rather than potentially looking at just bans. I, I definitely 100% agree with that. What about Oko Thief of Crowns? <laughs> Can we unban Oko? Nope. Nope. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Uh, Unless yeah, like you're getting comboed on turn this one. Idea hard. Yeah. yeah um, honestly, v, uh, Oko is a whole other level. Um, although I gotta say, I want to see a return to this character. That's definitely yeah. what I want to do. So th well, this ham, band discussion what? has been fun. Um, but I do like we have a lot of stuff to discuss when it comes to Eldraine as well. So huh. were there any final thoughts on like modern or the bands uh, before we jump into that? Because. Yeah, I, I think that's it about modern. You right. know? I, I think I'm pretty excited to talk about our next topic here. Let's oh, go. Yeah. So we have a lot of preview cards, and we're going to go through those. We're going to take a look at each individual card, kind of talk about them and discuss them. But one thing, while we're on the topic of Oko, I just want to say, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this last week too. I'm going to put another plug out. I'm going to say it. I want to see a return to this character, but I want, uh, we know that there, there's only going to be one Planeswalker in Eldraine, and we know that it's Ashiok. And we're going to yep. be discussing that card in a minute. Um, so we know that we, there will not be an Oko Planeswalker card. However, a lot of Planeswalkers got T-Sparked. So we might get an Oko Creature card. Yep. And I really want to see an Oko that, frankly, is not particularly good. I think it would be hilarious if they give us a genuinely bad Oko card. Because you better believe that is going to be, like, my first historic Brawl deck that I make, day one. Um, <laughs> and it's going to be... I don't know. I'm hopeful. Yeah. I, I, I want to see a, a Gumpy Oko. I think we'll uh, see it. I, I think that makes sense to kind of see a return to essentially like what, what was one of the most popular characters probably in Eldraine. Uh, in oh, Oko, it's just that the card was busted, story, you know? From what I understand, yeah. 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 yeah it's kind of like in that one ring situation, but they've similar. actually banned yeah. Oko. <laughs> similar vibe. Yeah, you know, they, they did say when they started previewing some of the cards, they had talked about um, while there only be one Planeswalker in the set, there would be characters that you know that were Planeswalkers that are desparked. Mm -hmm. We already know Rowan and Will Kenrith have to be two of those, yep. right? So I don't think it's out of this world to see an Oko creature card. Um, yeah. Or that's... maybe a Garrett too. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, Garuk, yeah. I think, is going to definitely be yeah. uh, another character that, I mean, we're going to, there's so many characters that we haven't heard about for a while mm. that I think we're actually going to see in the story now. And um, it, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how they kind of take it to the next step, considering that we just saw, you know, like the biggest uh. war the multiverse has seen, right? And the question is, is Ashiok a new big bad? Um, which honestly, I'm excited to read that lore um, mm -hmm. because they had sort of set up the lore for the plane or the story is everybody was put into this deep sleep or this deep slumber um, after the events uh, or during the events of um, the last story, right? So mm -hmm. the, that, that whole war against Phyrexia is going on and they put everybody in Eldraine to sleep. And what better big bad to have than Ashiok, who likes to uh, invoke and twist nightmares. So, um, you know, just taking a look at this Ashiok card for a minute, um, it's a five mana mono black planeswalker with five loyalty that says if you would pay life while your library has at least uh, that many cards in it, exile that many cards from the top of your library instead. So another example of a planeswalker with a static ability, mm -hmm. which I keep thinking is a mistake when they do this. Um, and <laughs> this, this one, I feel like it's narrow enough that I think it'll be okay. Yeah. Some of the other ones are, mm, yeah. Yeah, anyway. and then it's got like some okay abilities on it. 
Um, but, you know, thinking of a five mana black card, considering how powerful the black cards in and standard are already, um, this sort of fits that top end curve. So you might be able to see this card in a black base deck, like in standard. Um, though I can tell you the card I was most excited to see previewed so far is Sleight of Hand. Um, which is previewed as a common. Um, and now for the first time puts this card sleight of hand into pioneer and now explorer. Um, I first played with this card back in eighth edition, uh, nice. when I started playing magic. And so I was excited to see that card for that reason. Uh, but it's, yeah, look at the top two cards, of your library, put one into your hand and the other on the bottom of your library. Um, pretty simple. Um, you know, it's was a modern mainstay for quite mm -hmm. some time. I think it's sort of been phased out of being a playable card in that format. Um, but I'm excited to see it in standard for sure. Um, though I do, I would be remiss if I did not mention that Eldraine is a set that would have existed in a new standard format, right? Had rotation mm -hmm. happened and clearly would have been a replacement for decks that were playing like consider. Yep. Right. Um, and now you don't have that. So it's going to be interesting how we see some of these cards have an impact or don't have an impact based on the new extension of standard to three years rather yeah. than two. And I think you call I think you hit the nail on the head. And I, I feel like consider outclass sleight of hand. Um, it, most, if nothing else, just the fact that it's at instant speed, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think a lot of decks that already had four ops in the past, like Sleight of Hand as another one-drop cantrip that can just keep momentum going, get your cast triggers for various things. Um, you know, that was meaningful at one point. Yeah. And now it's just considered just outclasses it to the point where, like, you don't need ops, consider, and Sleight of Hand. And mm -hmm. I like the fact that you called it out because, yes, if the rotation schedule had stuck around, consider would be rotating out. And so yep. sleight of hand would be very comfortably moving in and filling into that slot, albeit a little, you know, it's, it's definitely not as good. But if there are, like, is it spell singer style decks that just want to be want to be casting spells, we have some prowess creatures that are live right now. And, yep. I mean, like Monastery Mentor, uh, Swift Spear, and the like are still, they, they would still be around. Yep. So all of a sudden... You know, a one drop like this might be able to find a home. Um, yeah. But yeah, as long as consider yeah, here. Definitely. I think for the next year, people are just going to forget that this is here, except limited players. And then after next year's rotation, maybe it'll find a place. But yeah. yeah. And thinking, you know, along those same lines, just real quick, you know, I saw the preview of the Creature Land restless fortress mm -hmm. um and that is the black white land that they had previewed that turns into a creature when it attacks defending player loses two life and you gain two life and it clearly showed that eldraine seems to have been a set that they designed to make standard slower and when i mm -hmm. say that i'm talking about a rotation that would have taken the new capenna triomes out of the format and we would have been stuck with a mana base that was made up of the Painlands from Brothers War and Dominaria United. And we would have had the Seachrome Coast, Star Slick Shores yep. lands from Phyrexia All Will Be One, plus Creature Lands. 
So we would have reverted oh, wow. instead of playing five color nonsense, mm-hmm. five color spin the wheel slot machine, a tolly dot deck. You would have had a much slower standard format with a return to dual color decks. And I think, unfortunately, because the tri-color lands still exist in standard, it outclasses the creature lands they're going to print. 100%. Um, yeah. And the soul lands would have rotated as well. I hadn't thought yep. of that either, but oh my goodness, yes. Yeah, all the Midnight Hunt lands. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I actually, um, I like all these cards so far. I really, really enjoy the fact that we're getting creature lands again. Uh, what I really like about Restless Fortress is that Restless Fortress is the best example of creature lands that are underrated eye of the high tyrant was probably the most played creature mm-hmm. land and everyone thought it was like the worst one yeah. restless fortress is going to win so many games when your opponent has like a three three and you have this one four and you can safely just keep attacking and draining them keep yeah. attacking and draining them and then slowly get yourself back into the game and then before your aggressive opponent knows it they've lost because your restless fortress has attacked three or four times and even though the restless fortress doesn't need to attack anymore it got you back comfortably where you needed to be mm-hmm. Uh, Another thing of note with Ashiok, what I think is like really cool is that uh, you can use its its static ability with shock lands and like the Zendikar lands. So you almost don't lose any life for playing any of those lands and any cards that help you grab cards from outside of the game. Hey, Carlo, Karn the Great Creator. Uh, can help you actually, uh, you know, makes this Ashiok a lot better. <laughs> and you guys are right. You guys are hitting the nail on the head. Like specifically this Ashiok, like we're talking about it's okay shielded into ashiak that's like the one of the first thoughts right and sure you know that was gonna happen (laughs) no matter what but now there's still like all these other cards that are still overpowering black like let's just use an example like a graveyard trespasser obviously that card's not busted by any means but just having access to that card means that you know black still has all these like really great tools and i think it's going to be hard to kind of like sway away from all these meta decks specifically because like you're saying the the triomes and capenna almost like kind of mess with the format because it's so easy mm-hmm. it's so easy for you to play this ashiok in your five color deck because you have the perfect mana yeah. base for it and now you're getting even more lands that could potentially make your mana base even better well and I, i'm kind of bummed that we're going to be that, that we're not going to be living in a standard where do, all the domain cards from dominaria are around but the triomes aren't because that would be so interesting you know leyline binding right now is an insane card because you can have full domain by turn two easily in a lot of five color decks as long as that first one that dropped produces white you have an instant speed banishing light up on two for one mana Mm -hmm. that's nuts and like i I don't know i want to i want to live in a standard where you can't do stuff like that um but let's get so we've been talking about Ashiok Wicked Manipulator, and for the folks listening at home who maybe don't have the visual up, um, let's let's dive into it. So yeah, there's a passage where if you pay life, uh, and your deck has the the cards in it, you exile them instead. Plus one, look at the top two cards of your library, exile one of them, put the other into your hand. So on a five mana Walker, it replaces itself. Plus one card draw engine, excellent. Negative two, create two one one black nightmare creature tokens with at the beginning of combat on your turn. If a card was put into exile this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on this creature. So you can see how that gets fed in by the plus one and any other exile effects. And then it has a negative seven. Target player exiles the top X cards of their library where X is the total mana value of cards you own in exile. Now, explosive singularity, anybody? 
I know, right? Explosive singularity. There's shadow of mortality. Um, it's like it's just a casual 15 drop in standard. That just play is hammer cool. Genuinely just play a terrible card, card, but like it's it's doable. Like there's a lot that you can do with this. Uh, I think I feel like having expensive cards in your deck with the intention yeah, of putting yeah. them into exile, and there are plenty of ways to like draw and discard, exile your own graveyard. There are cards yeah. that can do escape stuff. Like it's very easy to get cards into exile these days. That's that's not yeah. hard. And nope. Ashiok does it themselves. So like I feel like this is you know, generally speaking, c- traditional wisdom is don't judge a planeswalker by the ultimate. Mm-hmm. However, here we have a five drop with starting loyalty five and the ultimates at seven. We're also in a standard where proliferate is very common. So I feel like that negative seven is not very far away at all. I suspect I this card's nuts. It, it makes two tokens. Most cards that protect themselves only make one. So then mm-hmm. when you make the one and it gets killed, then your planeswalker dies, you feel bad. This card, like this card has uh Lolth vibes. Yes, uh, you can time. make a couple blockers and then it gives you a little bit of some card advantage. And then if you really need to, you have that ultimate that can essentially win, uh, like win the game almost like on the spot, especially, you know, if you pay a lot of life or exile, but like if you play um the red decks, if you combine this with any of these red exile, your top cards effects, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's two of those cards right now in standard uh, with the one from Crimson Vow and the one from March of the Machine. I can't remember. Ren's Resolve and I can't remember oh, yeah. the other one. Reckless Impulse, um, maybe? Reckless Impulse. Reckless Impulse. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have those cards too that really combo pretty well with this card. They synergize well. And I think that I think that this card's really good. I think that this mm-hmm. is a card. What I've noticed lately is that we used to look at the first few cards of the set and a lot of the times those weren't the cards that we would see. Mm-hmm. I think nowadays when we see a lot of previews, we're actually seeing a lot of the cards that we will see, just like, let's say, like a Shieldred, right? A lot of people were polarized by Shieldred. I, I haven't read too many comments about how people feel about this card, but I can guarantee you people are probably pretty polarized. They probably feel like it's either really good or it's really bad. And I'm going to be on the, I think it's a really good card side where mm-hmm. what I also find interesting as well, uh, not to kind of like almost like jump to like the same card but different topic is that uh i feel like they're not printing as many planeswalkers planeswalkers mm-hmm. aren't really like a big deal right now mostly because in the storyline a lot of them lost their spark but that could also mean that maybe we're finally past the planeswalker era where they, it was just felt like since war of the spark every single set was like here's four or five planeswalkers and yep. instead now we're you know this set only has one and i think that that's a really big step uh in a direction that maybe we're gonna see in future magic sets mm-hmm. uh how do you guys feel about that well i know i know that they had said last week i think i had read that moving forward we'll be lucky to see two planeswalkers in this set like you're gonna get one mm-hmm. possibly two um, and that's how it used to be, right? We didn't have a set with like five, six planeswalkers before. It was always like, you know, I'm thinking back to like Scars of Mirrodin, where you had like Elspeth Tyrell and what, one other planeswalker in that set? And it was like, oh, well, these are like the bomb cards. I have to have these. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of honestly like a return to that. Um, you know, showing off one that's going to be, you know, a powerful card. Like, here you go. Um, you know, unfortunately. Black does not really need any help at this point uh, in standard. Agreed. But, uh, you know, in my my head, looking at this card, and you're talking to, like, the Demir lover here, um, 
I don't know, we've got Experimental Augury and Phyrexia All Will Be One that proliferates, lets you look at cards. You've got Jace the Perfected Mind on three or four that will mill opponents. Uh, and then hello, the Ashiok Ultimate on minus seven. Um, so, you know, let's just exile all of your opponent's cards very quickly. Here's your mill deck in Demir in combination with just being a nice suited control deck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I see the other preview card in Cruel Somnophage that is uh, the adventure card that they previewed. I'm Hello? so ready for this thing. You have uh, no idea. I'm glad I was right on that prediction. I did call that we were going back to adventures. And yep. we yeah. Did it. So mm-hmm. like dual dual color adventure cards with, you know, this is great. But hello, look at that sorcery. Four mana target player mills four cards. Um, okay, fine for me. Mm-hmm. And then power and toughness equal to the number of creature cards in all graveyards. Also fine for me. Um, so, you know... It, I think that that card in particular, even without the adventure, is very powerful. Yep. Especially if you're, you're like ramming like aggro decks against each other, um, or you know mid range decks that's going to get a couple creatures in the yard for you. Like, yeah, you're not casting this on two mana as a creature, um, but milling my opponent four seems seems great, um, and I think yeah. it fits in that same type of a shell. It's funny. It's funny you mentioned that. The moment I saw this, uh, I immediately thought of a deck that I am currently running in standard. I'm already doing it, and this immediately slots in. It's not even a question. Um, with Urborg Lurgoyf and Old Stick, or uh, yeah, Old Stick Fingers. Mm. And then we have Tyvar, uh, Jubilant Brawler that right. can like mill it and br- bring it back immediately with a down tick. I mean, this puts twelve creatures in that deck whose power and toughness are equal to the number of creatures in your graveyard. Right. 12 of them and they're all two drops yeah. like th- that is bonkers and so if you put enough creatures you and you have things like canker bloom and you know the blanchwood prowler and these like small utility creatures fill the deck full of those they're all creatures and tyvar yeah and like by the time you're getting a cruel somnophage out so it's funny you mentioned like milling the opponent yeah you can totally do that but i'm turning can't wake up the sorcery on this i'm turning that on my face all day i'm gonna like that's that's how i'm gonna play this yeah. card um but right there that is an example of a really cool design because you can do it both ways like mm-hmm. they, however you're gonna target it and on top of that there could be some control decks like so in a, in a controlling kind of situation this might be good sideboard tech if you're going up against a creature heavy aggro deck Yep. And then all of a sudden, like, you can pull this in. If you have excess mana lying around, you can mill them for a little bit, and you could drop this, and it could be bigger than any other creatures they have out there, assuming that you're running sweepers and spot removal to, you know, stay alive in the early game. And it could just grow off of their graveyard. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I don't know. I, I like the design on this. I think it's really slick. And I'm excited to see what other adventures they have. Because this one, so the Cruel Somnophage itself, you know, we have the Urborg Lurgoyf already. And, like, and so we, we kind of have an idea of how good this card, this style of card is in standard. And the real, real answer right now is it's not amazing. Um, so I'm not concerned from power level perspective there. But the sorcery, target player mills four cards for one and a blue at sorcery speed. Like, that is not a great spell. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's a little bit too expensive for what you get. And that gives me hope. For the other adventures yeah. in this set. <laughs> I was about to say the same thing. I think that, like, this card hopefully is, like, a showcase that, hey, back in the day, you know, maybe this card would actually just cost one black, mm-hmm. and then the adventure would cost one blue. But instead right. now, uh, we're making it cost two on both sides. So then, like, yeah, it's a little more synergistic and gives different strategies some breath. But at the same time, it's not going to be, like, 
you know, on rate or better as most of the old Explorer adventure cards felt. Specifically, um, you know, when we really think about adventure, it's really three cards. It's Bone Crusher, Love Strike Beast, and Brazen Borrower. So as long as we don't get any of those in this set, then I think it's going to be a miracle. Um, But we may also see that, like, these adventure cards kind of get played in a different way where obviously you're not just like, oh, I have my catch-all removal spell and then I have, like, a late-game threat or, like, an early-game threat. I think that a lot of these cards are going to be spread out in power level where maybe more like this card uh, where, like, you guys both mentioned it, helps with a lot of different decks and by itself can be like an aggressive card or you play it in your reanimator strategy you play it in a synergy deck it's it's definitely applicable in different ways and i think that's a lot better than having cards that are all just like really powerful all the time and speaking about a card that i want to reanimate in the new standard i'm taking a look at moon shaker cavalry there it is everybody yes yeah, I'm it's, sure everybody at, at at home was like, "Come on, when are you gonna get to it? Come on, just talk about it already." Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hello, like six six for eight mana with flying, meh. But when it enters the battlefield, creatures you control gain flying and plus X plus X, where X is the number of creatures you control. Um, and I don't know about you, but we most definitely still get to play in a standard where uh, cruelty of Gix still exists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are multiple reanimator spells. Uh, what's the one? Um, Shieldred's Invocation exists with a kicker white, right? Oh, that's, um, uh, Yeshiva's that's from Dominaria United. I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, like, we have these cards that we can reanimate this card, uh, in standard. Um, and I know the EDH players are probably like, oh my god, this is second crater hoof. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it kind of is, um, and I'm I'm jamming it probably in any of my decks that play white. Like, why wouldn't you? Um, but for sure, like, let's reanimate this card. This is great. Hundred oh, percent. Yeah. No, I, you mean to tell me there aren't a half a million Selesnia token EDH decks that that, that don't want this thing? I mean, come on. Like, that's. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what about the Selesnia token decks in standard? Um, hello, we have Tokasia's Welcome, we have Wedding Announcement, we have mm-hmm. Join the Dance for Green White, right? That makes two on ones and flashbacks. Yeah, holy cow. Uh, if you want to get saucy, you got Rabble Rousing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god, Rabble Rousing. Let's not forget you can uh, do the, uh, the what is the Amonkhet, the Invasion Amonkhet, and kind of get that out pretty quickly as well. Oh, I like yeah. the low cost of three mana. You can kind of just go off a little bit with that. I, oh, we can I fight think this card yeah, you can fight rigging it. I think oh. this card's pretty awesome. I think that <laughs> this is so gross. I love it. <laughs> it's weird. We, we have so many different not. like uh, reanimation targets, right? Like yeah. we have, um, we went from uh, what was the seven drop green card, uh, Titan of Industry, Titan of Industry. Man, and now we had Atraxa, and now we have like Moonshaker. Yeah. That's like I'm, where we're at. Do you remember when Titan of Industry? When we looked at Titan of Industry and went, "Holy crap! This is the most insane reanimator target they could possibly cr- print." And then Wizards clearly just said, hold my beer, and came out with Atraxa and Italian. It's like, Titan, oh, you're cute. Why are you... <laughs> anyway. And yeah, um, and you're right. Yeah, Moonshaker Titan stuff. doesn't draw cards. Yeah, t- imagine, exactly. imagine Itali hitting a Moonshake Cavalry in the other person's <laughs> deck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. No, and this, this no. is when the jank when the jank wheels start spinning in the head, y'all. Well, and the other thing, so 
Moonshaker Cavalry naturally lends itself to a comparison to Crater Hoof Behemoth. Like, it just does. Like, they function very similarly. It gives your entire team evasion, in this case, flying. Crater Hoof gives trample. And the plus X plus X, where X is the number of creatures you control. I mean, that's exactly what Crater Hoof does. So, they're very, very similar, right? Obviously. Yep. The main differences, there, there are a couple. Moonshaker Cavalry is larger as far as base stats go. It's a 6-6 six, six compared to a 5-5. Five, five. Not a significant difference, especially with the numbers that we're probably going to be talking about when this thing resolves. But it doesn't have haste where Crater Hoof does. Mm-hmm. And so that's meaningful because, like, when Crater Hoof hits, sure, it buffs your entire squad, but it also adds a, another body that gets that buff when it swings. Like, that can add a crap ton of power in addition to everything else it was already doing. Moonshaker yep. Cavalry on its face doesn't do that unless you have some way to give it haste. Now, there are plenty of good haste enablers out there, you know, even in, in standard. Um, my personal favorite being Bitter Reunion. As a reanimator player, I adore that card. It is so yeah. good. If I, and that's that's my move, by the way. Get, use Bitter Reunion to put a Tali into my graveyard, reanimate a Tali, and then you know pay the one mana to give it and whatever I just spun into haste. Um, that's a lot of fun. I highly recommend you you find that line. Um, I think you know uh, there's a really big trade-off, though. I think for not having the haste on Crater Hoof, mm-hmm. I think flying as an ability is better than trample. There's less likely to be flying blockers then there are ground blockers. And I think that Moonshaker itself not being able to attack is going to not matter as much as people think. Because if you have like five, six, six flyers, you're probably just going to kill. You're going to kill at least one person. Easily, that will right? likely win a game. Yeah. So, you know, again, jank wheels turn in here um, <laughs> because you you mentioned Bitter Reunion and Atali. Mm-hmm. Um, hello, Invoke Justice stays in standard. Yeah, um, and so we can we can reanimate Moonshaker Shaker Cavalry from the yard or Atali from the yard to get the cavalry, um, and give everything haste, and we're all happy go lucky. The big spins are definitely here, man. Yeah, yeah. they're, <laughs> yeah, 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 they're yeah. definitely yeah. Moonshaker Cavalry fits into those kinds of silly. Uh, over-the-top kind of shells. This Not can make white decks good top, again, but... right? Like, the mono-white decks could be good again because this is, like, a crazy curve top. Or just so you say, maybe they go to the Invoke Justic playstyle mm-hmm. where they can get back uh, Wandering Emperors and Moonshaker Cavalries and feel pretty good about either one of those. Right. Yeah, that might not be a bad idea. And the other thing about those decks is, right now, um, kind of the, the current mono-white list there are like two different variants of it. You have the like super low to the ground aggro lists that are running like things like Skrelv's Hive and you know um, the Jawbone Duelist and just going for the poison kill. Sometimes you see like the humans lists that are you know Copper Copper Coat Vanguard into Adeline just trying to go for super aggro kills. I don't think those decks want this card because they're trying to kill well before they get to A mana. You know, if you're if you're casting an eight drop in that deck, you, something's gone horribly wrong, um, and so I don't think they want it. Even though, like, yes, if it resolved with those board saves, it would be great. I don't think it's going to resolve given their game plan. Meanwhile, the more controlling uh, angle on white is running a lot of sweepers, a ton of spot removals, your ossifications, your lay down arms, uh, and a lot of those decks do have kind of this like sub token strategy where they have the wedding announcements and the wandering emperors and the eternal wanderers that are going to be producing tokens as a way to kind of supplement what they're doing um, and provide a little pressure, shore up some some um, you know 
get some favorable blocks in. Even cards like Ambitious Farmhand and Spirited Companion um, are kind of amazing cards because they have an ETB that is relevant and good, but not amazing and usually not worth interacting. Like, I don't know about you guys, but every time I play a Spirited Companion and my opponent hits it with a go for the throat, I feel like a million bucks. Great. It's like, great. You're just, yes, <laughs> you're spending removal on this? That's amazing. Like, it feels uh, fantastic. Because um, they're just not worth removing. But... It's a body that Moonshaker Cavalry sees and is going to lift off and buff if yeah. it's still around later. So, honestly, I feel like those controlling decks might actually look at this because a lot of the time when the game is over or when they get near the end, they'll have three or four tokens online and maybe they can't quite get a good attack in. Well, if they have a one or two of Moonshaker Cavalry and they can rip that, all of a sudden those tokens are now five, five, six, sixes, and they're flying. And, you know, in pizza, to your point, that's going to end a game, especially if your opponent's low mm -hmm. on resources. So that might be a nice way to put the hammer in the, you know, put the hammer down and close it out. Maybe yeah. a maybe two, three turns faster than you would have otherwise. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested. This is, this is a cool card. And, uh, yeah, it might, it might see play in some of those decks. I'm very interested. Definitely. Yeah. Now, you know, speaking of the other cool things about Wilds of Eldraine, yes. um, there is a cycle of cards that much like the artifacts in the Brothers War and much like um, the multiverse legends that were in um, March of the Machines, there are a series of enchantments um, in this particular set um, of older cards that are getting reprinted with cool new um, art and borders as sort of this newer like showcase versions of these cards. Um, these cards won't be legal in standard uh, but much like the multiverse legends you will be able to draft them and play them in any limited format um and they previewed a couple cool cards for it uh specifically uh doubling season um which just got a reprint in commander masters but we won't get mm -hmm. into that um but you know hello doubling season i can buy a five dollar booster pack um and open up a really cool chase mythic out of it and yeah, even yeah, play in my booster pack you, you, yeah i could play it in my my pre-release deck like hello um I, i'm cool with this um okay. but yeah like doubling season like this is gonna be great um, that comes in uh, two treatments, I think. Mm -hmm. um, it comes in, like, two different showcases. Um, and there's cards like Prismatic Omen, which we haven't seen in a little while. That's been um, reprinted into this set. I, I love and remember the Prismatic Omen Valakut days. Um, they were <laughs> always great. Um, I miss that duck. Um, Necropotence with insane art. The new Necro Art is gorgeous. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's so nice. Um, Dude, and God. It's 2023. It is 2023. And we will be able to go down to just, I don't know, Walmart or Target, buy a $5 draft booster and open a Necropotence. I love this. Yeah, <laughs> this that's is so awesome. cool. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I... Um, agree with like the professor from <laughs> Telerian Community College. Like this is what I love to see in my five dollar booster packs. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to open up older cards that I might not have gotten to purchase a long time ago. I don't care that it's got new art. Like I love that some of these cards have newer art, and it's mm -hmm. it's bringing it to be more modern and fitting with the set's flavor um, that it's in. 
Um, but yeah, to your point, I want to open a Necropotence. I want to open an Aggravated Assault. I want to open a Smothering Tithe. I want to open a Ristic Study for five dollars. Right. Um, you know, I, I want to play with these cards, and I want to play with them in my pre-release deck or my draft deck, and to see if I can break it somehow in the limited format. You'll be able um, to. I don't you know, know how you will. It's going to happen. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. going to happen. I mean, <laughs> even Curiosity, yeah, I, which is a card that's not even like that crazy, is going to definitely have an impact, I think, in Limited. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. For sure. And so, um, you know, nothing but love for them doing this in the standard set. Um, you know, <laughs> it's 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 going to be a fun pre-release. I can tell you oh, that. Yeah. I, so on the topic of the... So there are going to be multiple treatments, like we said. So there's going to be... But appears to be kind of a borderless, very fairy tale showcase. Um, you know, very hand drawn. Feels kind of like older animation, kind of reminiscent of kind of. I, I kind of get Ralph Bakshi vibes from some of these older cards, um, which is definitely like the curiosity that we have on screen for the for the video folks right now. It definitely mm -hmm. has that vibe to it. But there also are going to be a series of um, anime arts. Yes. And I'm curious how you feel about these. So I brought the Smothering Tithe up, and it definitely, I mean, I'm not exactly sure, like, the story they're trying to tell is almost looks like maybe some kind of Japanese presentation of maybe Cinderella? With, like, a stepsister being a jerk? I can't quite tell, but it's just, like, it's a couple of anime girls smiling. And mm -hmm. th that's Smothering Tithe artwork. I'm just curious, how do you guys feel about about these arts? I know they're they're kind of polarizing. I'm just curious where we all stand on them. I think it's pretty awesome that they do this again. I mean, I know that this was actually part of the recent Jumpstart. Mm -hmm. uh, I yes. think it was like Jumpstart 2022, right? Last year. Yeah, the 2022 um, set. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think it's cool. I mean, we know we've seen uh, other art as well um, in the past that maybe was a little bit polarizing too. I mean, specifically the Amonkhet invocations. Uh, for everybody who remembers those, definitely like yeah. a lot of people hated them <laughs> and felt yeah. a certain way. But I mean, personally, I think that we've we've been the Lord of the Rings. I think that we could just do anything at this point. I I personally don't. You know, I like it. I think it's really cool. I enjoy that so much is being brought into Magic that like you kind of have like the opportunity to play with cards that and art that you wouldn't normally have played with like in the past. And like mm -hmm. it's just really cool. Like I. I think it's great and it just gives it, you know, more different versions of the cards, which obviously, you know, is great for the players, gets more of these cards into the players' hands. And I think it's cool. It really celebrates what I really like about it is that we're able to celebrate a lot of art in magic that we wouldn't have celebrated maybe like 15 years ago. I think that even like we can even go back like six years ago or something, right? Like, I think that it's just an interesting opportunity for a lot of different artists. And it's also an interesting opportunity to essentially bring this to magic, right? Like, I think that a lot of things that get lost in these universes beyonds, you know, these alternate arts is that essentially we're kind of like unifying a lot of different fan bases together in this game that we enjoy. And we all mm -hmm. get to play together and everyone gets to play with whatever versions of cards that they want and they kind of just get to like appreciate and we also get to learn maybe like what makes this art or what makes that specific card you know that way and i think it's just really cool i, I like it a lot mm -hmm. and i'm excited to crack these uh in a pack specifically like yeah like this mm -hmm. wrist study just looks can I you imagine how this looks yeah. in foil like unreal like yeah unreal. yeah I, I don't doubt it yeah i'm glad 
kind of yeah. agree. Yeah. Oh, Carla, go yeah. ahead. I, I, I agree. Um, I don't think that any of what they're doing here with the different pieces of art or highlighting artists that should be highlighted for their work um, is a bad thing. Um, you know, we all enjoy magic in our own ways, right? You know, you already got people who are like proxying cards with different artwork because they love mm -hmm. it so much. And I don't know about you, but I, I could tell you from my local EDH community, you see a bunch of different like pop proxied, you know, anime art on magic cards that exist now. And it's, mm -hmm. so it's great that I'm seeing, uh, magic highlighting anime artists, um, and allowing their artwork to shine on our games cards. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think it's something that they hadn't taken advantage of until like recently, and I think it's something that we're actually going to see more of mm -hmm. in the future. Yeah. And uh, you know, we saw it with Strixhaven as well. Uh, you know, we're seeing it with a lot of these different sets, and I think that's really cool. And you know, it brings like a lot of equity to the game. Honestly, I mm -hmm. think uh, it's kind of like getting secret layers, but like in your standard set, rather than you going yeah. out of your way to get whatever like secret layer you want is kind of like, Oh, here's the community secret layer where everyone gets a chance to open these, you know, mm -hmm. really cool alternate art cards that, you know, like a risk study doubling season, all these cards are definitely worth money. Mm -hmm. You know, these are commander staples. These are going to continue to be commander staples going forward. Mm -hmm. They've definitely stood the test of time. And, you know, it's really cool. Like we're finally, what I really like about this too, um, that I guess I didn't really feel, I honestly didn't feel this in Let's say like March in the Machine. What I really like is that this is a continuation of what we originally got in Battle for Zendikar, which was the Expeditions. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, these cards that are just like, oh, this card is, you know, highly expensive. And, you know, it's 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 feels special and it has a theme, right? Like we went from, uh, I think it was it battle for Zendikar or I think it was battle for Zendikar. We had the expeditions and then we went to Kaladesh and Kaladesh had the inventions. Well, the inventions mm -hmm. were artifacts. So to think about how long it's taken to kind of come back to finally now getting a sheet of enchantments, uh, mm -hmm. is interesting. And I really hope that they just, like you said, Carla, I hope that this is like a theme going forward where, okay, well, what's the next sheet? Okay, well, maybe the next sheets, you know, uh, could be equipment or, you know, mm -hmm. maybe they pick, you know, just, okay, when we go back to lands, here's these lands that are themed to this and that, right? Like it's, yeah. it's really cool to see it. And I just hope that they continue to do it. It, mm -hmm. it really makes the game cheaper. And I think obviously everybody still wants their cards to be worth money. Don't get me wrong, but the accessibility of people maybe not having the proxy and still being able to get the cards that they want at like an accessible rate, I think is definitely something that everybody agrees. We kind of want magic to be at. Oh yeah. No, as a magic player, I want the game pieces to be inexpensive. And the the notion of them having all of these different art styles and different, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I think it's really cool. Yeah. And the other cool thing is, like, if I open one of these anime arts and I don't necessarily like that particular piece of art, I have a feeling I can sell it and buy a copy the with, the, with the one that, you know, with the money I get. Like, yeah. And I'm sure... Like in most cases, I would imagine people would pay a premium for, you know, for this particular showcase. So probably even come back with a couple bucks. Maybe I can buy a burrito. I don't know. Yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like a winner to me. Burrito so, with your study. Don't forget exactly. to pay the one. Now, the only the big question, though, is this going to be good for the limited environment? And time is going to tell. You know, these bonus sheets are awesome in general as far as this mm -hmm. reprint value and making the draft and set boosters worth purchasing, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like, it drives the value of those sealed products up in a really cool, meaningful way. Yeah. Um, 
you know, we saw it with like, yeah, all the other ones that you're talking about, the Strixhaven, uh, Mystical Archives. You had the the retro artifacts from Brothers War. But the thing is, like, I heard some some limited discourse around Brothers War where people were saying, you know, cards like um, was it Foundry Inspector is like one of the best limited cards. It's like that's an uncommon off the sheet, and it's not even in the main set. Like that's not a standard legal card, but it's just. And like Chromatic Star is another one. It was just like a role player in the limited environment that you just had. Like it was just there. Yeah. And it's like, is that good for the limited environments? I mean, in those cases, from what I say, understand, it played well. So sure, whatever. But I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. know that I could answer the question if they're good for the limited environment from the amount of limited I played during those mm-hmm. sets and, you know, whether it was March of the Machines or Brothers War. Um, I have to say it's cool to sort of play a draft with a mini cube within the set that you're playing. Um, okay. And it, it, it throws some wrenches in there. What it doesn't allow for you to really do is to study the draft environment like you would let's say your traditional set with no special inserts, right? Mm-hmm. Like I could, I could determine clear archetypes and you probably could still do that to uh, some regards. Um, but the addition of the mini cube um, within there is pretty sweet. Um, but being all enchantments, this go around is much different um, than what we saw in brothers war. And who knows? I mean, maybe that some of the enchantments are going to be much more powerful than the artifacts you saw in Brothers mm-hmm. War 2. It's possible. Well, and I have no doubt there are going to be plenty of uncommon caliber. I mean, we've, we've seen Curiosity. Who mm-hmm. knows what other enchantments we might... You know, uh, Rancor? Are, are we finally going to see a Rancor reprint? It's been a while. That'd be pretty sweet. Uh, I think um, that'd be pretty cool. We could see that. Uh, there's, yeah. I mean, there's so many predictions, I think, that we could, like, throw at it. Honestly, enchantments yeah. are, like, mm-hmm. so deep, right? Oh, like, yeah. land tax. Like, there's so many, like, iconic enchantments and magic that i think you could really it, it's cool i really compare it to the kaladesh inventions that's what mm-hmm. i'm hope this is what it already feels like and this is where i'm hoping it mm-hmm. ends right. up at like that type of power level well yeah. but, but the flip side of that is there are also cards like pacifism you know which yeah. is an iconic card which honestly i will be shocked if it's not on the sheet because it's it's an iconic card that people recognize and have fond associations with but it is just so outclassed by everything right now no, i mean the, but the planner disruption like, or whatever from um you know march of the machine it's just better it is like strictly 100% better and uh because it's, you know, it's basically an arrest that can also hit Planeswalkers, like, yeah. and it only costs two. Like, why would I ever play Pacifism again? Right. But at the same time, it's an iconic enchantment that dates back to the start of the game that people just have that association with. So, you know, they also could do, like, Unholy Strength is another, you know, Holy Strength <laughs> and Unholy Strength. Classic cycle of enchantments that are, have been around forever. They're garbage cards. Like, and, and like, they were never good. And, you know, now in, by today's power standards, I mean, like, Unholy Strength, the, uh, Enchanted Creature gives plus two, plus one for one black. Mm-hmm. Do you want to spend a card on that? Like, does anyone want to spend a card on that? Could we see Bestow Creatures? It's Enchanting Tales, but Bestow Creatures are Enchantment Creatures. That like, will we actually get to see some cards with Constellation? Ooh, are we going to see Starfield maybe. and Nyx? Like, there's all these random cards that... uh are Actually, really really re- cool like what about humility would be interesting they, what about a card that's a legacy staple is humility gonna yeah. be in like wh- how how deep are we gonna go down the mm-hmm. rabbit hole of best enchantments of all time for this ah 
But there it is right there. They have led with the heaters. I don't believe the point of this set is to show the best enchantments of all time. Because when you look at, at the... I, be, I believe what they're trying to do is show iconic enchantments that are going to be potentially meaningful. And they can put a couple of chase cards in that, mm -hmm. that sheet. When you look at the... Um, yeah, but when you look at some of these other bonus sheets, and I feel like that's what's different between the bonus sheets and like the invocations and the inventions that we've seen in the past, those are a handful of lottery tickets, and there was no guarantee you were going to open one. In the bonus sheet, you're going to open one, like every time. You know, you will. And so as a result, they're going to put some bulk in there. Like most of it is going to be bulk. I guarantee it. Um, and so, and we see that with the retro artifacts. It's like, yes, Worm Coil, Aetherflux Reservoir, like Defense Grid. Yes, those are in there. But you also have Chromatic Star. You also have, um, I mean, there are a handful, like Iker, Wellspring. And like, I don't know, there's, mm -hmm. there's plenty. Ivory Tower. There are plenty of cards that are just... You know, yeah, they're there, and in many cases they're iconic and kind of fun, but they don't—they haven't aged particularly well. Right. Um, and we're going to see that with the enchantments as well. I have no doubt. Um, the other thing that they did confirm is Eldraine itself, uh, as a plane moving forward, is going to have more of an enchantment theme, because they—they kind of looked back on their roster and realized they had a ton of artifact worlds, and they didn't really have that many enchantment worlds. It was like Theros and. I guess it's Theros. So, yeah. so they decided they were going to um, boost the Eldraine's kind of enchantment identity, which fairy tale set. Cool. Like that, that, that fits. That, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Everything being kind of mystical in its nature. Sure. Ashiok putting an enchantment on everybody. I know, right? Exa yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like the plane itself has become enchanted yeah. with this sleep. Ooh, are we going to see curses? So, yeah. Are curses making a comeback? I hope so. Do you, do you guys thematically think it'd be a perfect fit? Yeah, yeah. yeah cool. Listen, if 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 the witch with the red apple does not put a curse on somebody, right? Yeah. Uh, one last yeah. card. Um, since we're talking about Aldrain, is a little card that we didn't talk about. Um, hmm. Was the um, tough cookie? So it's actually <laughs> uh, food. So food's making a comeback. We saw food recently in Lord of the Rings, but an old Aldrain favorite here, food. Mm -hmm making mm -hmm. a comeback into standard and who knows what impact that could have again, right? Like there's going to be uh, so many cards that just make additional tokens. There's just, I'm, I'm just so excited for this set. There's so much flavor still behind it. Uh, you know, what gingerbread men were always mm -hmm. like a, you know, a big deal uh, in the world. And I think that we're going to see a return to, you know, these gingerbread characters uh, back in here on top of like the food being a thing. I mean, you know, we talk about enchantments. I mean, who knows? Like, food has always been powerful because they're artifacts. So, yeah, uh, you know, there could be something down the line where mm -hmm. you know these artifacts are definitely useful. Well, and food is one of those interesting things where um, it was powerful because the payoffs were powerful. Is really what made it good. Like, Trail of Crumbs is a bonkers card. It is very mm -hmm. powerful. It's an amazing card draw engine if you're doing food. Like uh, Cauldron Familiar and Witch's Oven, like that. That is just so efficient, and it happens to utilize food. You know, yep. that's what made those things sing. At the end of the day, like Ginger Brute is great because it's evasive and and fast. You know, it's evasive. It's tasty. You know that that's what makes Ginger Brute good. It happens to be a food. I don't know when was the last time anybody activated a Ginger Brute to gain three life. I I know I I don't think I ever have honestly. Maybe unlimited. Um, Maybe unlimited. Exactly. Like it's, it's just not like the fact that it's a food is kind of incidental. Um, you know. So, 
but but at the end of the day, like they'll probably will have some food payoffs here. And they've proven that they can do food very well because we've seen it as a theme, um, you know, in like Modern Horizons 2 had a, mm -hmm. a heavy token theme with a lot of food stuff. And it's funny, it's, it, it has become, food actually has become so ubiquitous as of late that it's easy to forget that Eldraine, the, the, the throne of Eldraine introduced food. So yeah. like it's, it's not that old of a thing. It's just kind of gotten baked into the game, so to speak, just because it works. You know, it's a pretty simple mechanic. And it totally works. So yeah, I don't know. If, if, as far as the food goes, um, are there any particular food cards that you guys would like to see reprinted? Oh, Wicked Wolf and the Troll. Oh, I yes. miss those cards. Yeah, I miss playing Wicked, with Wicked those Wolf. cards so much. Like I, I freaking love the, Wicked Wolf, the, man. I thought uh, that card was going to be amazing, and it just got outclassed by everything else. Uh, going I played it in standard. It was a really great standard card uh, mm -hmm. near the like uh, middle to end of this, that standard. Uh, but I, I think it'd be cool. I'm I'm really interested to see what actual reprints we do see. Obviously, we haven't seen any yet outside of Sleight of Hand, which was not an Eldraine card originally. Right. Um, right. So it's going to be interesting to see, like you're saying, like if we see some of these food cards, maybe we see. Uh, um, yeah, we probably won't see Great Henge and Embercleave, but maybe we probably see not. different ones, right? Like we we haven't seen knights. Are knights still the main creature type here on Old Drain? Like there's so many. We only just dipped our feet in. There's so many mm -hmm. questions. I think yeah. with this set that we still don't have answers to. And on top of the story, on top of the enchantment sheet, you know this set. I, I loved Old Drain. I missed out on you know Oko Standard. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, You're when I came back in, it. I, I missed, I loved it because it was so flavorful. And I think that a lot, well, a lot of sets lately have been missing is that flavor, right? Like neon dynasty was great because it had that flavor with it. Um, and I think that hopefully when I'll drain comes in, I'll drain, you know, it's like your big bang for your buck, right? Like it has flavor. The cards are powerful. It has expensive cards in it. Like it's, it's going to hit all these big notes that I think, the fall standard set has missed the last two years. Hmm. I really think that between the Midnight Hunts, um, you know, all these sets, like they're not as, you know, impactful. Dominaire United, like all these sets just haven't really done anything in standard outside of maybe one card or two. Mm -hmm. And I think that all, this all drain set could potentially change that again, where it brings in a couple different archetypes and then it actually builds pillars for the next set uh, that we're actually going to talk about as well. Right, Ham? <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're going to touch on Ixalan a little bit. Yeah. So we have, we, at this point we have not seen a single card for the caverns of Ixalan. However, they've shown a lot of artwork for it. And they talked yeah. a bit about the story. And it's kind of funny. So apparently Wizards was actually building an underground world. They were planning on doing an entire uh, set themed in a subterranean world that has all kinds of, you know, amazing magical things happening where the goal is to get to the core of the plane itself. And then uh, at some point in development and the creative, they realized, wait a minute, we've never seen what's going on under the surface on Ixalan. <laughs> And somewhere they connected the dots and realized, wait, there's no reason this can't just be Ixalan that we're right. in. And so that's ultimately what they're doing. And uh, yeah, so we are going to be going back to Ixalan, but we're, this time we're going inside of Ixalan. Um, and there's some really interesting stuff. Like they've confirmed that there are, in fact, angels uh, within Ixalan, but they're focused on protecting the core. And as a result, we're never on the surface, which is why we never saw them previously. And... We also have artwork for two Ixalan gods. 
Holy cow. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I'm excited to see more God cards introduced into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because, you know, hey, um, the World Tree player, here I am. Um, <laughs> but, you know, yes. I, I really like the theme that they're talking about that Ixalan gods are focused around and that is mesoamerican gods Mm -hmm. um and you don't really get to hear a lot of lore like out there about that and so i'm glad that they're bringing that sort of a theme to the story or character development um of those creatures um but i mean hello uh oger axonil the deepest might has an arm that's a dinosaur um which is pretty sweet looking um and some big bad fiery sword and is like raising hell and all of that is just great um yeah and then they have a happy-go-lucky god um (laughs) that sort of like reminds me of um the green white god from theros this is kind of like there like Mm -hmm. in a field and is making everything look like it's good karametra that's the green white god's name yes and um it sort of reminds me of that sort of a feel but hey there's these hydras and boars and flying pterodactyls in the background yeah um well and that that particular artwork is fantastic too because it, like that god, so Oger Kaslim, I'm sure I'm butchering that pronunciation. Um, but the that particular god, the very first thing you notice is just the scale, you know, because mm-hmm. like you have a you have this like forest in the background, and you have a field of what appear to be just like livestock or just small animals in the front, and there's this massive creature, and it's not until you really look at it, and yeah, you see there are these like giant hydra heads behind the you know behind the main figure, and it's very clear that those are like their tail. Like yeah. the, the tail of this being all kind of it's all one one thing but the thing the detail that i like i honestly looked at this at this art a couple of times before it even occurred to me and before i really realized it the majority of the god's body is made up of monarch butterfly wings mm-hmm. that is such a cool detail and that is such a beautiful image because here's this incredibly powerful being clearly very powerful um being choosing to represent themselves as one of the most fragile things in nature. I just, I love that. I think that's mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah, and in addition to that, you know, Ixalan is definitely going to be bringing dinosaurs back to the game. Um, and the last <laughs> time, And the last time that we referenced dinosaurs in um, the war with Phyrexia, um, we had seen scenes on Ixalan of... Itali getting murked by Zakama. Um, uh, yeah. And so, you know, Itali was completed, and then Zakama comes out of nowhere and just like rips Itali's head off. Um, and meanwhile, <laughs> yeah, meanwhile the you, you have, you have Zapalta in the back just like flapping them, flapping wings. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's interesting because I would have viewed like elder dinosaur characters as sort of like the gods of this plane. So I'm mm-hmm. curious to, um, you know, how they will shape the story to bring more of a preference to the gods versus like these elder dinosaurs. Are we going to see another Zakama card um, that just got downgraded to rare and commander masters? Oh no. Um, but you know, it's, it's something I want to see. And then Hwatley, mm-hmm. uh, what's going on with Hwatley? Does Hwatley have the spark? Is Hwatley just a legendary creatures leading a bunch of dinosaurs for the race to the core? Um, 
you know, what are these dinosaurs going to think of these angels that they've never seen before? Mm -hmm. Who knows? Uh, But we will find out in the caverns of Ixalan. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to go back and kind of take a look and see where a lot of these, uh, essentially all these creatures have like been, right? Like we have dinosaurs, vampires. uh, We're getting the addition of angels. What about pirates? We haven't even seen like one of the namesake creature types from Ixalan, which is pirates. There's just so much to be answered. And it's going to be really interesting to also see where these gods are aligned. We can kind of automatically say, hey, you know, the uh, dino hands, as it's called here, (laughs) uh, is potentially just uh, Oger Oxenil, however you say the deepest might. Uh, It looks Rakdos. Let's just be honest. It looks Rakdos. Uh, we you know maybe the demonic imagery sure yeah right and then OJR maybe is just going to be Celestia so maybe we get some of these uh, allied colored creatures you know allied colored gods and it's going to be interesting to see whether or not they're creatures that can already be used like attacking blocking or we're still going to fit the god theme that we've seen every time from Theros to Amonkhet which is that you need to have a specific requirement for them to be able to attack or block or do their thing so I think they're you know them going back into that design space is really cool Mm -hmm. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how all that takes place after uh, Eldraine has come into the format as well. Yeah. And I wonder too how it's going to affect the story post Phyrexia, where they clearly showed that planes that had gods, those gods were influenced by those citizens, like on Theros. Mm-hmm. So, what makes these gods on Ixalan different? And why didn't we see them in the war against Phyrexia? Uh, why didn't the gods come to save their plane? Um, who controls them? What's going on? Um, yeah. And at the same time, you know, is Jace going to become a cunning castaway again? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, are they going to find pirate Veraska on the beach and make up? Um, you know, interesting storylines that I think we could revisit. Yeah. I don't know. The thing that we've seen consistently is that the planes that have gods, they all seem to behave differently. You know, like we saw, for example, like the Amonkhet gods had very clear physical forms. And like in mm-hmm. the paper, in, in on their cardboard representation, they were all indestructible, but they had limitations. A lot of things that prevented them from attacking and blocking, you know, prevented them from being effective on the battlefield. Um, then you had, well, you had something similar on Theros, where the, like they were all indestructible, but they weren't creatures, unless your devotion was high enough, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but the thing about the Amonkhet gods specifically is like, they had physical forms that Nicole Bolas was able to like completely strip away. I don't know. I suppose like now that I think about it, Kalia just straight up like slit Heliod's throat. So I guess they had physical forms too, to some extent. Um, But anyway, yeah. But with these guys, yeah, exactly. Why weren't they involved in the, in the battle with, uh, yeah, with the Phyrexians, I'm assuming they were staying underground for some reason. You know, I'm assuming that their domain is just not the surface. Like mm-hmm. that, that's my assumption. Um, it's definitely sure Zendikar that- vibes, right? Like it definitely. When you look at the artwork, mm-hmm. and they say, "Oh, we're going underground," it definitely has like Zendikar vibes. Like the artwork, uh, the landscape kind of has that like adventurer kind of feel to it. 
And I think it's going to be, you're right. It, it It's so mysterious. Like the first, when we originally went to Ixalan, we knew that Ixalan was like this place where a lot of uh, characters ended up or a lot of planeswalkers, et cetera, where they kind of forgot where they were, right? Like mm-hmm. Jace's memory was like wiped away pretty much. Uh, Vraska's memory was like wiped away. So I think that it's going to be interesting to see like, them kind of give us more story considering that Ixalan already to begin with was a mysterious plane right. and now all of a sudden why was everyone drawn into the core well why are the vampires legion jumping into it you know why are you know this other group of you know characters in the story kind of jumping into it and like i said it really has like zendikar vibes where originally we're like oh what's up with these hedrons and then oh aldrazi popped out maybe we see other things or maybe this leads into (laughs) other characters uh in the storyline we we don't really know right now right now what we do know is that ixalan is almost its own thing without potentially uh some outside influence that we've seen a lot of the last few sets kind of like homogenized so uh, I'm mm-hmm. excited for that storyline and ex- definitely excited for uh, Aldrain before that as well. Definitely. Cool. Well, yeah, so, yeah, we have some interesting sets coming out, and I just, I'm so, I don't know, it seems so simple, such a little thing, but this time of year, I'm always so ready for a new standard product. I'm like, I'm so ready for a new standard. Mm-hmm. Because, like, on the one hand, it shakes up one of the formats that I enjoy the most, but additionally, uh, we also are going to see a product that isn't a premium price supplemental product, uh-huh. which it's been a couple months since we've seen one of those. And that's going to be, it's going to be nice and refreshing, I think. So yeah. anyway, everyone's looking forward to that. So the other thing that you'll notice, so the other news topic that we have not touched on yet that did occur this past week, that was kind of a big deal. So we knew that the one we what the one of one ring was found. Well, this past week, it also sold. And so we now know where its kind of final home is, at least for the foreseeable future, uh, and how much it sold for, which is the question that was definitely on my mind when it showed up. Like, okay, how much is it really worth? Well, it turns out, if you ask Post Malone how much it's worth, he'd say about $2 million U.S., yeah, and you know he even outside of the viral video that's now out there on like TikTok and Instagram and whatever that shows a very clearly appreciative original card owner now experiencing life changing money um, for them and selling them to probably one of his favorite artists because <laughs> um, clearly that appreciation was there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Post Malone also did an interview this week that explains exactly the amount of money he paid. Um, he said, yeah, I paid, I paid $2 million for it. And, <laughs> and the lady in the interview is kind of like <laughs> giving him the eye, like really? It's, uh, it's, and post like, hell yeah, why wouldn't I? Um, <laughs> you know, and you know, clearly, you know, I, what I'm thankful for is that the card ended up to an owner who, very clearly loves the game of magic. I mean, hey, they did a secret layer after the artists, mm-hmm. right? Um, I mean, his love for the game is is very clear. Um, hopefully, they will be taking good care of this one of One Ring forever, um, unless they decide to sell it in the future, which I'm sure we'll hear about if that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but given Post Malone's stature, I cannot imagine that card's going to be leaving their hands for quite some time. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, it was awesome. It was a good thing to see. And, you know, 
seen all of the video footage, like how appreciative both parties are of the exchange. Uh, I don't think that could have gone any better than it did. Yeah, this was classic good feel magic. This was just like you you got to see the story unfold from the beginning. You know, we knew this card was going to be in some boosters. You know, we saw it on streams, so mm-hmm. much advertisement, right? Like Wizards of the Coast has put so much advertisement behind this. And to see it go to, you know, an honest person, uh, to see, you know, someone who honestly also loves the game and is a popular enough figure that they can, you know, pay uh, someone else life-changing money for uh, quote-unquote a piece of cardboard um, I think that it's just it's really incredible it was really cool to see the saga kind of like come together and have like a finale you know mm-hmm. and like I said going like you guys said like going to someone who loves the game is incredible like we know Post Malone uh, is gonna enjoy that you know it's it's like having a comic it's like having any collectible you know these this lego set this and that it's it's really special and it's this one you know with the one ring itself it's this one unique item that you know yeah there's only one of it and you know now post malone owns it and it's gonna be really cool to kind of see like you said if there's any more kind of like you know big topics about it going forward but from for my for me i i think it was incredible that we were able to see the saga fulfilled and it was just really positive there's there was a lot of you know obvious kind of like trolley and maybe negative things that people said they wanted to do if they got it and you know at the end of the day i don't even think that most of them would do it considering how expensive the card was Mm -hmm. uh it's really hard to turn down that much life-changing money uh, but you know, the fact that we didn't have to worry about that and the fact that it got into two really good hands, uh, it's just really incredible. And it, and it really speaks volumes to this community because I really think that, you know, we get to share a space with like other really cool people that we kind of look up to, not only in just our content creator space, which, you know, we all have like the privilege of being a part of, but, you know, sharing this, you know, moment and sharing the game with these people and having the reach that i thought that we would never have in this game is very very incredible and just to see that all kind of culminate in like one moment was just it was really cool it felt really good it felt really good to finally see that ending to it i agree i agree now the only thing that we need to see is post malone cast it on game nights that's what we that's I'm sure something like that has to happen in the future. It's, it's got to happen. Yeah. I want to see it in a single sleeve deck, riffle shuffled. I want to. <laughs> it just gets countered. He'd cast it and it just gets countered. Yeah, negate. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh. Spell pierce. Yeah. Oh, I guess you didn't have the two. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, my goodness. But yeah, no, feel good. Feel good story. Good work. Good stuff. So, yeah, so that kind of brings us to the end of the, the topic. So, um, let's go ahead and, uh, you know, we're going to go ahead and sign off here and, um, yeah, work our way around the table. Pizza, I want to start with you. I know we got some some, uh, some stuff coming up this weekend. Could you let the good people yeah, that's right. out there know what uh, what's going on with that? Yeah, definitely. So, unfortunately, uh, you know, last week event, due to some technical difficulties, uh, not on our end, of course, uh, some technical difficulties, uh, the tournament did not fire. Uh, I wasn't mm-hmm. unable to fire. So what we did was, uh, since we're doing two Explorer tournaments back-to-back, uh, essentially we're combining last week's prize pool with this week's prize pool. So there's going to be $500 on the line this Sunday, uh, which is a good chunk of change. So for top eight, mm-hmm. uh, pretty big amount of prize there. 
so it's going to be a free explorer tournament again. Uh, I know that I say this all the time. You see the wait list, but the wait list doesn't really mean anything most of the time. You know, a lot of people who sign up the day of get in. Uh, you know, everyone just signs up because it's early, and I think that that's great. Uh, but don't feel like you yourself can't get into the tournament because you definitely can. There's always room and you'll get to play. Uh, you know, we wrote articles on it. Uh, I'm working on one right now that's going to give you the best decks in Explorer. Uh, it's playing weekend uh, as well. So, you know, there's a lot of different events once again on Arena. We're already in the beginning of the month of August. So there's all these Explorer events going on. And, you know, to kind of like give us like that big, big event, you know, this Sunday, definitely be on the lookout for the Pizza Box Open. Uh, it's streamed on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Hollywood Pizza. And you can definitely expect to see some YouTube videos as well on that. Uh, we do the top eight. You Usually uh, kind of snip it up and give you uh, the three top matches in that top eight on uh, Pizza Box MTG. So uh, definitely be on the lookout for all that. Excellent. Yeah. And so in addition to the tournament, what else? Uh, are there any other? Yeah. Where else can people find you on the Internet? What can they expect when they, to find when they get there? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pizza Goif or at Pizza Box MTG. Uh, like I said, I got my own YouTube channel. Uh, I write for MagicJank.com. I'm a team member of MagicJank.com. Uh, most of the time you can find me on Twitch. I do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I do early streams at six in the morning. Uh, I usually come meet up with Ham on his channel. Uh, and on Sundays at 1 p.m. is when we do our tournaments. We do three a month that are free to play. So, uh, you know, definitely don't be afraid to reach out to me. You know, I love collaborating with other content creators and, you know, I love just hanging out, talk about magic. And, you know, mm -hmm. if you want to find me on Twitter, you know, I'm definitely open to that. And, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, leave some comments on some of my content too. And, you know, maybe we can get a nice little chit chat there as well. Good stuff. Carla, how about you, Mike? Where, where can we yeah. find you? Yeah. So also a team member of magicjank.com. Great team. I, I would appreciate checking everybody out. Um, where you can find me, I stream on Twitch typically four days a week. Um, I typically do like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then either Saturday or Sunday evenings. Uh, from 8.30 p.m. roughly until about 12.30 a.m., so sort of that four-hour time slot. Um, my channel is all about highlighting our viewers and our community. So I play a bunch of viewer decks, and every season or every month, I play viewer decks to Mythic on the ladder. So whether that's standard, explorer, historic, or some alchemy decks occur uh, occasionally, but mostly standard. Um, so you can check me out on Twitch. Same handle as you see below, cfavretto underscore junior. Um, you can also find me on TikTok and Instagram making cringy videos, but that's okay. Uh, you can follow me on those platforms or Twitter or threads. All of my handles are cfavretto underscore junior. Excellent. And uh, yeah, my name is Graham. I go by hamhox42 on all the places, primarily on Twitch these days, twitch.tv slash hamhox42. I stream Monday through Friday. And uh, I also do a lot of community-based stuff where we play uh, viewers submitted decks on Tuesdays and on Fridays. We actually have what I like to call Fight Me Friday, where we do open challenges with viewers, and it is a ton of fun. Um, so yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll see you out in all those places. Um, also, if you have any questions that you want to add or, or topics that you'd like us to discuss on this very podcast, please reach out to us. We have a Discord server that is open to everyone the link for that mm -hmm. is in the description uh, we even have a channel specifically for podcast questions jump on in there uh plug in any kind of feedback questions that you have for us we'd love to hear it uh, also feel free to tweet at us or post at us on x or whatever we're calling it um at magic jank and use the hashtag jank mail uh and we will you know filter by that and find it for uh for upcoming episodes so yeah yeah thank you so much everybody thank you for tuning in 
And we will catch you on the next one. Later. Stay cheesy, everybody. Be yeah. safe. <laughs> catch you next time.